With his unique perspective on the medical legal system, here's Victor Cotton. Welcome to the Law and Medicine Podcast. Today's topic is non-competition clauses in the context of physician employment. These clauses, which are commonly known as non-competes, restrict where you can practice after you leave a job. As an example, a non-compete could prohibit you from practicing within 20 miles of your former place of employment. And the goal is to push you far enough away so that you don't pose a competitive threat to your former employer. And because the restricted areas are often fairly large, if you leave a job, you're often forced to uproot your family and relocate to a new community. But the negative impact goes far beyond the individual physician. By forcing physicians out of the area, non-compete sever thousands of doctor-patient relationships and thus negatively impact patient care. They also damage the marketplace by eliminating competitors. One study found that in states that allow non-competes, Fewer new practices are opened, and there's less diversity of practice ownership. That phenomenon is on full display here in Pennsylvania, where healthcare in most communities is dominated by one or two big systems which use non-competes to lock down their territories, creating monopolies in the process. And a separate study found that non-competes increase the cost of health care, which isn't surprising when you eliminate competition, prices do tend to go up. And the final problem with non-competes is that they're fundamentally un-American. In America, or at least the principles upon which America was founded, if someone across the street offers to pay you more money, you are free to take that job and use it to build a better life for your family. But if you're subject to a non-compete, you are prevented from taking that job and thus blocked from realizing your full potential. And in my opinion, that is inconsistent with the American ideal. So given all of these negatives, why then are non-competes allowed to exist? Well, in a few states, they're not. They are illegal in California, Massachusetts, Montana, Oklahoma, and Colorado. And last year, the Federal Trade Commission evaluated whether something should be done on a federal level. And I don't know what the FTC is going to do, but I believe physician non-competes are already illegal under federal law. And here's why I say that. The Sherman Antitrust Act, which is a federal law, states that any agreement or any contract that restricts competition is illegal. Any agreement that restricts competition is illegal. And non-competes clearly restrict competition. That's their underlying purpose. They're called non-competes because they prevent competition, and they are therefore illegal under the Sherman Antitrust Act. That part is very clear. However, there is an exception that allows non-competes in certain situations. 
exceptions. And the exception applies when a non-compete is used to protect a business's assets. So a non-compete cannot be used to restrict competition. That is illegal. However, it can be used to protect business assets even though competition will also be restricted in the process. Now, the key consideration here is that the exception is valid only if the benefit conveyed to the business outweighs the damage done to the marketplace. There must be an overall net benefit. And this is going to be a challenge because non-competes do a lot of damage. In terms of the specifics, our courts have recognized four types of business assets that can be protected with a non-compete. They are trade secrets and employer's investment in employee training, employer goodwill, and client relationships. So the question is whether protecting some combination of these assets is enough to offset all of the damage that non-competes do. Let's look at each of them. Trade secrets are things like recipes, formulas, or practices that are integral to a business. In order for something to qualify as a trade secret, the information must be kept secret and not known outside of the company. Trade secrets are different than patents. Patents are used to protect intellectual property that will be made public, and patents last only a few years. Trade secrets are used to protect intellectual property that is kept secret, and trade secrets can last indefinitely. A patent would be used by a pharmaceutical company to protect the chemical structure of a medication, while the recipe for Coca-Cola is protected as a trade secret. And even under the Sherman Antitrust Act, employers are allowed to use non-competes to protect trade secrets. So the question is, if you're a physician, what trade secrets does your employer have and to which you are privy and which you could conceivably take to a competitor if you were to leave? Let's suppose you're an oncologist and you work for a hospital system. What secret formulas or practices does your employer have? Is there a secret regimen for treating breast cancer? A secret process for mixing chemotherapy. How about a secret method for managing pick lines? Techniques and methods that are not known outside of the institution and so secretive that you hide them from the very patients that you're administering them to. Does any of that sound like the practice of medicine? No, it doesn't. The practice of medicine has no secrets because patient care is governed by the published literature. And because everything's published, there are no trade secrets in clinical medicine. Now, if you're a physician executive and you're involved in the corporate workings of an institution, then conceivably you are privy to trade secrets. And perhaps a non-compete could be justified for you. 
But a physician who's just seeing patients isn't privy to trade secrets, and as such, non-competes cannot be justified on this basis. The second situation where a non-compete can be permissible is to protect an employer's investment in employee training. If an employer makes a significant investment in an employee's training, then the employer is allowed to prevent the employee from taking that training to a competitor. For example, if an employer trains you to drive a tractor-trailer, then it's not fair for you to immediately quit and go to a competitor. So a non-compete could be justified in that situation. But our example involves an oncologist who's employed by a hospital system. And the question is whether the hospital made a significant investment in his training. Did the hospital teach him how to practice medicine? Or did he come to the job already knowing how to practice medicine? Well, this one's easy because employers don't train people to practice medicine. Medical schools and residencies do. And a physician who takes a job, even his first job, is already fully trained. And as a result, non-competes cannot be justified on the basis of protecting an employer's investment in training. There is no training. Now, I know there are hospital administrators out there who disagree with me on this, and they'll point out that their institution provides all new employees with 10 days of orientation and training. Yes, but that training relates to the internal operations of the institution. Things like how to report sexual harassment and what to do if the building catches on fire. It's not teaching physicians how to practice medicine, and it therefore cannot be used to restrict physicians from practicing medicine. And frankly, this idea that employers can override all of my medical training and restrict where I can practice simply because they showed me how to operate a fire extinguisher is foolish. So the first two reasons by which a non-compete might be justified, trade secrets and employee training, are not applicable to physician employees. The third reason a non-compete can be used is to protect goodwill. And goodwill refers to all of the intangible business assets, things like reputation, name recognition, and referral networks. So if we come back to our oncologist and assume that he leaves his job with a hospital system, the question is, how much of the hospital's goodwill can he take with him? If he joins an oncology practice across the street, how much of the hospital's reputation, name recognition, and referral network can he take? Well, once he's gone, he can't use the hospital's name or rely on its reputation. So those are out. And he also can't take much of his referral network because most of his referrals probably came from within the system. And once he leaves, the folks inside the system will no longer refer to him in large part because hospitals mandate that referrals stay within the system. 
And as a result, even if he goes across the street, the amount of goodwill he can borrow is negligible, and it's certainly not enough to offset all of the damage that non-competes do to the marketplace. So I don't think this reason is adequate either. The fourth and final situation where a non-compete can be used is to preserve customer relationships, which in this case are patient relationships. Now, as a physician, you probably view the doctor-patient relationship as belonging to you. And that is correct. By definition, only a doctor can have doctor-patient relationships. So that part definitely belongs to you. However, the customer aspect of the relationship, the financial aspect of the relationship, that belongs to your employer, and employers do have a legitimate business interest in protecting those relationships. However, in my opinion, there are other, less damaging ways of doing so. Things like non-solicitation agreements. And as a result, I believe that the scales again tip against the use of non-competes. And because none of the four reasons are sufficient, I believe that most physician non-competes violate the Sherman Antitrust Act. However, there is room for disagreement here, and the argument can be made that non-competes should be allowed to protect customer relationships. However, that argument evaporates when it comes to physicians who do not carry a panel of patients. ED physicians, hospitalists, intensivists, pathologists, and anesthesiologists. Because these physicians do not carry a panel of patients, they cannot interfere with their employer's customer relationships when they leave. If a NICU doctor leaves one hospital and goes to another hospital across the street, how many NICU babies are going to follow her? Absolutely none. And as such, to the extent that physician non-competes have any legal justification, it completely evaporates for physicians who do not carry a panel of patients. So the cleanest and least controversial thing that the FTC could do to improve competition in the healthcare marketplace is to eliminate non-competes for those physician specialties that do not carry a panel of patients. The second thing the FTC should do is prohibit the use of non-competes by not-for-profit health systems. 78% of health systems in the United States operate as not-for-profit entities. But interestingly, on average, they are just as profitable as for-profit entities. However, because they are tax-exempt, not-for-profit systems do not pay income tax, they do not pay real estate tax, they can accept charitable donations with the donor getting a tax deduction, they can borrow money at lower interest rates through the use of municipal bonds, and their employees can qualify for public student loan forgiveness, which indirectly operates as taxpayer-funded salary support. 
So the irony here is that healthcare is the biggest industry in America. Yet most of the largest entities in that industry are tax exempt. Why? Because most hospitals were originally founded many years ago as charitable organizations whose primary purpose was to benefit the community. And as a result, their tax-exempt status hinges on this idea of community benefit. So, with that as the case, tell me, how does forcing doctors out of a community with a non-compete benefit the community? How does raising the cost of health care benefit the community? How does eliminating competition benefit the community? How does forcing patients to find new doctors benefit the community? Any community. Non-competes are antithetical to the idea of community benefit, and tax-exempt entities therefore shouldn't be allowed to use them. So the second thing the FTC should do is eliminate the use of non-competes by not-for-profits. And to be frank, if you want to engage in anti-competitive practice, increase cost, and undermine patient care, the least you can do is pay some taxes. My final observation relates to the personal toll that non-competes take on physicians. I frequently speak with physician clients who are unhappy in their current job, but because of a non-compete, they're prevented from working for other employers in the area. And they're left with the following choices. One, take a job in a different community, which will require either a long commute or uprooting their family. Two, buying their way out of the non-compete, which will usually cost several hundred thousand dollars, or three, remaining in their current job, which is what's making them unhappy. And none of those are good choices. Now, you might be tempted to say that this is their own making. They signed a contract and they have to live with the consequences. And I fully appreciate that perspective. I'm a big believer in personal responsibility. But the reality is that unless you're in a state where non-competes are illegal, they're in every physician contract. And when the market's dominated by one or two big health systems, you don't have many options, nor do you have much negotiating power. And this puts physicians in a compromised position, which further contributes to the problem of burnout. So, given all of these problems, I was pleased to see that the FTC is evaluating the situation. And while I don't expect anything dramatic, at least someone is looking at the issue and hopefully it'll put us on the road to eliminating non-competes. Thanks for listening to me today. You have been listening to Victor Cotton, physician, attorney, and founder of Law & Medicine. 
If you'd like to learn more about us or support our efforts, we invite you to visit our website at lawandmed.com. We offer a variety of online educational courses for which you can earn Category 1 CME credit. Many of our courses can be used to meet your malpractice insurance company's requirements for a policy discount. And if you receive a CME allowance from your employer, we can provide you with a receipt which can be used to obtain reimbursement. This has been a production of Law & Medicine, Hershey, Pennsylvania. All rights are reserved.